0: Hello, everybody, and once again, may I welcome you to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I have authored a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, hence the podcast by the same name. All of my books are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback format. And Volumes 1 through 7 are in audio form at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So take advantage of those. Go out and buy some. And by the way, it seems that the idea of reading Bigfoot stories around the campfire, eating s'mores and marshmallows, is working quite well. So you may take that upon yourself grabbing the grandkids or the children and bringing them outside and reading them a couple of creepy Bigfoot tales. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How about you, Bill?
0: Fantastic. How does that sound? Reading some creepy bigfoot tales around the campfire to the little oh, children Oh man,
1: we've been we've had some beautiful nights here where it's been kind of damp during the day but uh and a little chill at night but no rain and we've been having a campfire out in the yard, you know. So, we got to wait for it to be a little damp because I don't want to light the whole place on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if anybody's out there in law enforcement, we were only doing it to roast hot dogs, you know. Yeah. I think. We were eating off of that fire. 100%.
0: Here's the thing. What if a Bigfoot shows up while you're reading Bigfoot stories? Whoa. Whoa. And maybe he just
1: wants to listen to the stories?
0: Yeah. Find out what the people are saying about me.
1: (laughs) Better be a favorable story. (laughs) Yeah. Or else. Or else. I might wrap you up in a sleeping bag and take you for a little ride.
0: <laughs> well, that's like a sack of potatoes. Hey, oh, let yeah. me out of here, man.
1: <laughs> I forget oh, the guy's right. name. That got carried up into the mountains, right? You know, by the yeah. family of Bigfoot in the bottom of his sleeping bag.
0: And how did that end again? Didn't the Bigfoot grab his can of snuff and pour it down his throat or something?
1: <laughs> I, don't I don't remember. Yeah, I think, I think right. he did. Sounds like yeah, right. and then... He
0: didn't know what he was eating, and suddenly he was hacking his lungs out.
1: Yeah, that's right. And That's how he got away. Yeah, yeah.
0: he he took off while while he could, and uh, that Bigfoot is probably still hacking. He today. He got
1: out of there while the getting was good.
0: <laughs> yeah, speaking of hacking
1: your lungs out, Bill, uh, I got bad news for you. The pollen is out here in North Carolina. Yeah, well, so that we means got... it's headed your way.
0: Yeah, Southern
1: Pollen, heading towards New York. Oh, man, my black (laughs) truck had a nice little, already a coat of green on it. Perfect. Yeah, they were just
0: talking about that on the the weather the day before yesterday. The pollen count is up. Oh, yeah. I've been sneezing
1: my head off every morning. Yeah,
0: I get the same thing, you know. Yeah. Out of nowhere, too. I mean, I just, I, I could be in the house. Oh, yeah, I this is in the house. The, I'm seeing yeah, my own. Yeah, I too, I too, I too. Of course,
1: I got Big Martha who comes in with her double fur coat, Labrador retriever hide and covered in green pollen. Perfect. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, nice <laughs> to see you.
0: <laughs> and
1: she wants to get pet. Oh, yeah. She's like, can you get this off of me?
0: Yeah, yeah. Can you get it off of me and put it
1: on you? Put it in your nose.
0: <laughs> Moth the air freshener. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's get into this here today. Uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities. Uh,
1: what do you got on the menu today, perfect bro? Perfect timing. If you hear it outside, the Apache helicopters are coming over. You know, every time, well, not every time, but a lot
0: of times. A lot of
1: times, Bill. Like I, yeah. I try to stretch it out. And I'm like, I wait for them to come over, and here they come. So.
0: Here they come. I mean, the
1: sound of freedom. The sounds of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Thank you all for your service flying those Apaches.
0: Yeah, it's awesome, you know?
1: Yeah, so um, we are going back to January 5th, the year 2000. So 21 years ago. All right. And do you know where we're going? Well, uh,
0: I have a keen recollection for such things. <laughs> uh, I didn't give I you say, any hint
1: at all. So. Uh,
0: well, you already did. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a pretty stiff hint <laughs> because I think you're heading in the direction of uh, UFO sighting. Oh, yes, yeah, Correct. And I think you're going to
1: begin in the Highland Park, Illinois. In Illinois. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of towns in Illinois. Basically, down in the part of Illinois that's pretty close to St. Louis, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, so cool stuff. hmm So back in the early morning, we're talking around 4 a.m., this gentleman by the mm-hmm. name of Mevern Knoll. He is—he's a truck driver, and he's coming back from uh, you know driving his truck, and he also owns a miniature golf course in Highland, Illinois, Bill, where mm-hmm. you mentioned. Uh huh. That's pretty good that you picked that out, by the way. And uh, he stops by his miniature golf course because something's telling him I should check this out, and he sees a Bigfoot playing miniature golf. No, that would be cool. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's not it. That's not uh, it. But, but Mevern looks up while he's there at his golf course at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he sees this huge flying object over his head. And like by huge, like a couple of hundred yards across, about a 1,000 feet high, so not that high, right? So mm-hmm. basically blocking out the sky. Mm -hmm. And it's got windows on either side with light coming out of the windows and what he describes as many dull red lights on the bottom. Hmm. And Maverin sees this for five minutes or so. So we're not talking about a couple of seconds here. Right. And my recollection of this is that it wasn't
0: moving that fast. No, it wasn't
1: moving much at all. Right. He just kind of looks up and is like, oh, my God, or whatever he really said. Probably not, oh, my God. Yep, yep. Uh, And then he's standing there for five minutes looking at this. So he does, you know, what a trucker would do, I guess, instead of picking up the phone and getting harassed by the dispatcher on 911 that he was drunk. He drives down to the local police station. And he drives down there. He specifically says that, like, he didn't want them to think I was drunk. And he drives down there. He tells the desk sergeant or whoever's there at the front of the police station what he saw. And they actually ask him, you know, are you driving under the influence? You know, how did you get here?
0: Yeah, typical, uh, typical tale. Uh, Before you continue, I have to say something. Sure. When you mentioned the Bigfoot on the miniature golf course, you know what it reminded me of? What? (laughs) Do you remember when Herman Munster went on the golf course? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He was stomping around with his boots on. Putting, like, craters all over the putting greens. (laughs) Uh, Sorry to do that to you folks, but uh, it's the way my mind works. It's all good.
1: Anytime you want to go over to uh, Herman Munster or Gomez Adams, feel free. (laughs) It's part of the creep fest.
0: So this poor guy, to prove his point that he's not drinking... Goes right to the police precinct, like, here I am, test me if you want to, I'm laying down my report. Right, right.
1: So he goes in, he tells them. they ask him, like, are you driving under the influence? Like, how did you get here? Stuff like that. He's like, listen, I totally understand your question, but this thing is real. So they start mm-hmm. to call it out to uh, police officers. And first they call it out to police officers in the local town of uh, Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And again, in Illinois. And uh, the police officer says um, he thinks it's a joke, right? Like he's like, are you joking with me or what? You know, to yeah. the dispatcher, right? Which is fair. It's like four fifteen, four twenty, four thirty in the morning. Right, right, right. In January, winter. And uh, this guy, like, he drives and he looks up and he sees two large white lights in the sky that were so close together that they looked like they were attached. And he says these merged into one uh, thing and uh, became a, one big elongated sight. Wow. Yeah. And by the Can way... You- both accounts, the first account and now the second account, no sound. Yeah, and can you imagine? I understand
0: the cop thinking that. Although I don't believe stuff like that really goes on, maybe a little bit, but I think they're more cautious over the uh, over the radio what they say to each other. But I can I can understand his point of thinking that. Maybe this was the night somebody was trying to get one over on him for some whatever reason. Of course.
1: You know? I mean, just playing a joke, right? It's the middle of the night. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I know in my job, I mean, I'm not in law enforcement, but, you know, we play jokes on one another, right? Uh-huh. You know, and you, once in a while, something seems like a joke and it's not a joke. You know, you're like, come yeah. on, that's not really happening. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, for real, that's happening. <laughs> yeah, it is happening. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, wild, wild stuff. Um, So this police officer, this first one, so it's handed off to multiple police officers in multiple townships, multiple cities around this part of Illinois. So this first one sees it and then he's it's starting to get out of his jurisdiction and he passes it on to uh, another uh, police officer or another department in Shiloh. And Mm -hmm. in Shiloh, this police officer by the name of David Martin sees what he describes as this huge arrowhead-shaped triangular object. And he says it's about 1,000 feet high again and about 100 yards across. And there's no sound.
0: You know, the odd thing is, too, Kev, as you're rolling along here, the first guy, the trucker, Yep, When he saw that object, uh, he described it as rectangular and tall. Uh, I think he even used the word like a freaking penthouse.
1: Yeah, I kind of read it as horizontal and tall, though. Like multi-story with windows on it that were lit up. Right, that's
0: where he got the penthouse thing from. and
1: I'll show you, like I'll put on the website, com some sketches that various folks made uh, of this sighting right after it happened. Yeah, no, and then the
0: second thing was, now we get to this other officer in Shiloh. Shiloh, yeah. And he starts describing it as what we would call today the wedge or the flying triangle. Yes. So the description... Almost like they were looking at two different things in the same moment they were warned to look for something. Or
1: from a different angle, in fairness, right? Like if you think of it, if it was angled down at you, it could be like a couple of stories of windows high and you wouldn't see the triangular shape, right? If you were looking directly in line with the face of it, so to speak. Oh, that's true. If it had more thickness to it. Yes. Yes. Uh, from a side view
0: than from underneath.
1: I mean, maybe they were aimed, tilted down, a downward angle, arming the photon torpedoes to blow you away. (laughs) Just saying. Yahoo! Yahoo! (laughs) I mean, they got to have some fun, too, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so, (laughs) at our expense. Well, yeah.
1: But again, in this case, in Shiloh, the police officer again, no sound. Right? He stops his car, he gets out. No sound. He's talking about it on the radio. and then he reports that it went from 15 miles to miles per hour, his estimate, so moving very slowly, to greater than a hundred miles per hour in seconds. Mm. Right? And yeah, that's
0: quite, that's quite a punch on the accelerator, you know. Yes,
1: and this is very close to an Air Force base that goes all the way back to World War One, called Scott Air Force Base. So yeah, they called the Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. No, I just said they're still there today. Yeah, still there today. They called the Air Force Base and said, like, hey, you guys got anything flying? Because we're seeing some weird stuff. Now, of course, the Air Force Base said, no, we got nothing flying, which I think they would say that even if they were having an air show, honestly. <laughs> but, but, but that's that. That uh, is what it is. Uh-huh. And um, um, so they, they call the Air Force Base. They hand it off to another town called Milstat, and another police officer reports seeing the object. And he sketched what he saw, and similar, he saw like the double story of windows or triple story of windows, no sound, and in his case, he said he saw a singular red light on the bottom. So maybe hmm. it's a different uh, different uh, height or something like that.
0: Yeah, or changing colors or oh, some lights sure. going off and others coming on. Yep. And wow.
1: then in the last sighting, it's handed off yet again to another police jurisdiction in Dupo, Illinois. And five minutes later, the police officers there see this thing. And they say it's very high in the sky, but they couldn't really discern its shape or size. Mm. So it's kind of taken off and uh, flying away. And, you know, we talked about multiple police officers from multiple townships or jurisdictions seeing this. But, of course, a lot of other civilians saw it as well. And their reports were very similar to the police officers. But, you know, we report on the police officers because, you know, the first thing people say typically is, oh, they're probably drunk, you know, or whatever. But hopefully uh, the police officers weren't drunk.
0: Now, Kev, can you on that subject? Can you imagine how many pairs of eyes were on these things that night? Oh, I mean,
1: hundreds it had to be, even at four or five o'clock in the morning. And
0: the duration. Yes. Uh, my understanding is that from beginning to end, the duration of this event was close to nine hours.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if it was that long, but it was definitely, you know, it started around 4 a.m. and probably ended sometime in the morning. So Mm -hmm. nine sounds a little long that it went to lunchtime based on what I read. But I get it. Yeah. Uh, But it's interesting, too, Bill. I'm not going to go through the whole account. But if you go to that same area of the country four years later on August 24th, you'll see similar reportings in a town called Tinley Park. Um, similar in the sense that it's this triangular wedge, wedge-shaped object with hundreds of people reporting it at around 7 o'clock at night. Wow. Yeah. Again, moving very slowly and like a triangle with three either white lights or three red lights.
0: You know, uh, the flying triangle has been becoming a regular diet in uh, the UFO community globally for many years and in fact uh, art bell who used to host uh, coast to coast radio uh for a couple of decades uh god rest his soul uh he was out in the desert uh with his wife uh, ramona at the time and had his own flying triangle uh, encounter, which obviously tipped the scales for him. Uh, he went from being somebody who's an interviewer to an interviewee himself, uh, having seen this monstrous craft, completely devoid of any sound, blocking out the robust uh, star-covered sky out there in uh, Nevada. I think he lived in Pahrump. Uh, you can imagine how many stars you see out there at night. Mm. And this thing just blackened them out, went gliding over him and his bride, and left them. And after that, there was no question anymore as to whether or not these things existed. The only question that remained is who do they belong to. Right. Hmm. And that's a freaky thing, man. What do you What do you make of that? Do you think that if, if our uh, Air Force or some branch of the uh, armed forces had that technology, would they just be flying this stuff around helter-skelter over communities?
1: You know, I, I think it's possible, Bill. It's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to say helter-skelter, but they got to mm-hmm. fly it somewhere.
0: Yeah, I get it. But, uh, you know, if you look at recent history, other than some people who may have seen uh, an F-117 at different angles out at Area 51 or something in flight and thought it was a saucer, uh, nobody really collectively or in mass had seen that F-117 until they uh, unwrapped it. Uh, in the Iraqi conflict.
1: Well, I mean, they would see it at night and not know what it is, right? Right. Yeah. But certainly nothing,
0: you know, these people are talking about something here. Uh, I've heard people say about these triangles, and this is no bull. I've heard people say a
1: mile Oh, long. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you I see mean, it in a, some of the movies and stuff like that, too.
0: You think about that for a minute. There was that Japanese uh, pilot flying a cargo Boeing 747 like 20 years ago uh, up around Alaska. I think he had a cargo of wine on board. And uh, he reported this object going from in front to behind the jet He was trying to shake it off, maneuvering as much as you could in a big plane like that. Couldn't do so. Uh, Was in contact with the airport. Uh, They said they didn't see anything. Uh, Later on, the the poor slob lost his job, uh, having made the report, which is exactly why people don't report these things, because they fear such things. He described this craft, Kev, as being. Now he's in a 747, which is a pretty big bird. Yeah. He's in this jumbo jet, cargo carrier, all the seats pulled out of it. He describes what he and his co pilot were seeing as the size of an aircraft carrier Mm. in the sky. Nothing aerodynamic about it, like a block. What the heck is a block flying around in uh, in the sky? No airfoils, no visible uh, uh, propulsion system on it, uh, no smoke, no flame, no noise, no jets, no props. That is bizarre. I'm with you. Now, how did the... How did this whole thing wrap up uh that, that day when it ended That's
1: it. They didn't they didn't see it again, you know, and uh the thing accelerated up to altitude and then disappeared. They didn't hear it again. Wow. And then again they saw something similar that I read about in two thousand and four.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's wild. You know, and again here we are. Now I remember this event. Uh, Basically, shortly thereafter, it happened. And I do not recall seeing anything uh, nationally or locally on the news relative to that.
1: Yeah, see, I don't remember it back then. But, uh, Uh you know, I don't know why I don't remember it, but I don't remember. Well, you know, just me
0: personally. yeah, Like... uh, you're kind of a newcomer to a lot yeah, of this stuff, yeah. and at that time I was, uh, you know, I was knee deep in all of this stuff. You know, uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, I had had UFO encounters already, and uh, so I, I didn't need anybody to convince me. Uh, I remember at that time I think I had a subscription to UFO magazine, uh, trying to uh, keep up to date on whatever they were reporting. And, uh, you know, Burns, uh, the editor, uh, of, uh, UFO magazine, you know, of course people out there consider that magazine, like you're reading a copy of mad magazine. Uh, but he was a legitimate, uh, an earnest follower of UFO encounters. And of course he had that show, Kev, do you remember his show? I do. Yeah. So, if you saw that show, you know these guys were out to prove uh, what was going on. They really stuck their necks out in certain circumstances in different countries and situations. No doubt about uh, it. To try to, to try to get to the bottom of things, you know? Yeah. Uh, so this uh, a UFO magazine was by no means uh, some cheap newspaper. Uh, they were trying to do the yeoman share, whether people believed it or not, to get to the bottom of... Uh, UFOs globally, you know, and uh, kudos to them. I always enjoyed that show. Yeah. Wow! Awesome. That's phenomenal. Awesome. Phenomenal stuff. stuff.
1: Yeah. So these creepy UFOs, we're going to do some more of them. I mean, there's just some great stories out there, and and I love them, especially these ones where you got a whole bunch of law enforcement folks that were part of it.
0: Yeah, you can't. You know, here's the rub. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. You got a half a dozen uh, cops and squad cars. You've got all of the superiors. You've got the desk sergeants. You've got the 911 dispatchers. Uh, You've got the truck driver who started the whole thing. What do you say to all of these people riding around in the middle of the night? The same people could be coming to your house for an emergency, And are you going to stand back and say they were all out of their minds and nobody saw what they saw? No, it's crazy. It is crazy. To me, it's more crazy to think that than to believe that what they saw was something unidentified and unknown to us, uh, even to this day. Yeah, no doubt. Wow, very bizarre. Well,
1: so (coughs) what do you got
0: for us, Bill? Well, speaking of bizarre things and this I broke this story out. I don't think we did this, Kev. Uh, I've looked back through my records. I didn't see it. Uh, But it's really apropos uh, considering some of my uh, or our newfound listeners uh, who happen to have spent a, a good amount of time in the forestry and or logging, uh, trades through the years and having spoken to some of these guys at length, I have a whole new, uh, uh I have a whole new outlook regarding the account I'm going to tell you about. And we're going to talk about it, obviously when, when I'm done. So this story is fairly brief But in my opinion, quite telling. Uh, It was brought to my ears by a fellow named Jimmy Schmidt, who at the time was a logger in the region of Northern California many, many years ago. And without any further ado, uh, this is Jimmy's story. In the late 80s, I was a faller for a logging firm in Northern California. We were the guys who went into a sale ahead of all the heavy equipment. Now, just a little groundwork here there's a couple of terms in here. I might as well tell you about them now so I don't have to stop. Uh, a faller is the guy or guys that go in and take the trees down. Uh, Then there's other guys that come in after them to chop them up and get the, the wood out. And he uses the term a sale. And the sale is nothing more than the property that they're being paid to clear. They refer to it as a sale. And then you'll hear me using the term in this account called a crummy. Now, a crummy is some beat up old pickup truck or something That they used to drive the crew and run some equipment. I'm a little
1: hungry, Bill. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I was hoping a crummy was like a crumb bun that you got at the bakery.
0: (laughs) And I'm telling you, man, you're preaching to the choir because you remember the crumb buns at Bankers Bakery. I remember the
1: crumb buns.
0: Yeah. And those crumbs were like an inch thick on top of the buns. Yeah. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt you. no, No, it's all good stuff. I can't avoid it myself. Uh, So we were the guys who went into a sale ahead of all the heavy equipment. Our job was to take down all of the trees and ready the sale for haulage. Usually we went in as a small group, four to six men, depending on how big the workload was. We also frequently found ourselves in some very desolate areas simply because of the nature of our trade. Some of these places were real no-man's land. On this particular job, four of us took the crummy into the far end of the sail, the crummy being a real crap box of a truck. This was some really thick and tall wood, the kind of place where men like us could get hurt if we weren't being real careful. We were what are called jippos, which are contract loggers. For this job, we had been contracted by a paper company to clear this particular sail and haul it to the mill. It was late in the afternoon that I started to get wind of what I can only describe as a real stench in the air. Not knowing what it was or where it was emanating from, I kept working. A short time later, the punk on our crew came over by me and asked me what the stink was, and I told him I didn't know. Now, Jimmy had said that the punk, which may be where we got the word punk from, Kev, was like the (laughs) greenhorn or the low man on the totem pole.
1: Ah, the punk.
0: Yeah, so he referred to them as the punk (laughs) on his crew. Hey, Come over here, you punk. Come on over. (laughs) So the punk on our crew came over by me and asked me what the stink was. And I told them I didn't know. By the end of the day, we had made it through about half of the sail and split. The next morning, we piled into the crummy with our gear and headed back into the sail for the second day's work. The stench from the day before was still wafting around in the air, which I thought was really unusual because I had never smelled anything like it before. A couple of hours into the day, the punk had stepped away to take care of business when he started shouting, Hey, you guys, come over here. Check this crap out. Well, we went over to see what the commotion was about, and there it was, a big pile of crap. It must have been 10 pounds, and it was fresh. It looked human, but the pieces were really long and wide. Some appeared to be 14 to 18 inches long and maybe 3 inches thick. Now, I hate to get into this description with you folks, but this is the way it was given to me. This is this pile of crap they ran across in the woods. He goes on to say that there were no humans who could back one out that large. And this was no animal turd either. We stood there staring stupefied at this pile of crap and wondering just what was in here with us. Late that afternoon, as we were tearing through the timber with our saws screaming, I felt like I was being watched. That's all I can say. A few minutes later, I caught sight of something out of the corner of my eye And turning my head to look, I saw a monster of mammoth proportions peering out from behind a large pine tree. Immediately, I knew it was a Sasquatch. My estimate? Twelve feet tall and as wide as an outhouse. It stood there, swaying back and forth apparently unafraid of the saw's noise. I ran to the other men and pointed in its direction. It had already started to move, but it was still unobstructed, and we were all looking directly at it as it was now walking away. It looked over its shoulder at us. Its butt must have been four feet wide, and its legs and back were just as massive. The lat muscles on its back looked like 2 by 12 boards springing out of its body, and its arms were swinging slowly as it bobbed away from us and passed out of sight. We all jumped into the crummy and took off. I quit the crew that day and never went back into the woods again. I never saw the guys who were with me that day ever again, and I even left some uncollected pay on the table. I had asked Jimmy to give me any specific details that he could about this creature and anything else, and this is what he said to me. It didn't come out from behind the tree because it was three times as wide as the tree. It was just shielding itself from full view. Maybe it had been moving and had stopped there to hide once it saw me turn. At any rate, when its face appeared, it was looking straight at me. We were eye to eye. That face didn't look human. Oh, yeah, it had a nose and a mouth and eyes. But this thing was an animal, not a man. The eyes were very dark, if not completely black. The face, chest, and inner thighs had some exposed skin, but the rest of it was entirely covered in hair that was so dark it was almost black. For some reason, I clearly remember its fingers. They looked like they were 10 inches long, and I could see its teeth. It looked to me really angry, making no sounds at all. Its two fangs looked slightly longer than the rest of its teeth. When I had run to the guys and pointed at the beast, its back had been facing us, and it had already covered quite a bit of ground as it left the area. The back was completely covered in black hair, and its head actually swiveled with the shoulders. Compared to the dimensions of the body, the head looked somewhat small in size and was actually sunken down in front of the upper back muscles, so I could not even see in size what, uh, excuse me, so I could not even see the head from the back. Everything about it was pure muscle and totally beyond the realm of human normalcy. The thighs alone must have been several feet in circumference and its back was V-shaped and in a way that made it look like it could bench press a ton. The creature's arms had to have hung seven feet from the shoulder. It was so gigantic that it seemed to me there would be no defense against it if it had decided to attack. I'm not even sure a couple of well placed rounds would have been enough to take it down. What do you think of that, Kevin?
1: Whoa. Now, where was that, Bill? Northern California. Okay. It's around the whole uh, Patty film area.
0: Now, you know, I mentioned earlier about uh, having met up with some lager guys through the uh, podcast. And uh, really interesting uh, talking to these guys because you really get to connect the dots. And they have some theories of their own. And some of the people, not even knowing each other, are in agreement. Right. Now, one of the things I'm going to breach with our listeners is this. I had a hunter in Canada and a logger in uh, BC who are both in agreement that the noise from the gun and the sound of the chainsaw does not scare the Sasquatch. Mm. Both of these guys are in agreement that they believe the sounds attract them. And in particular, the hunter thinks that they, at this point in time, have long since identified the sound of a gunshot as killing something and possibly
1: a free meal. Oh, isn't that interesting?
0: Yeah, and I have a number of accounts (laughs) of missing animals and uh, uh, hunters uh, seeing something around a catch that they can't find or finding the blood where the animal dropped and the animal's gone. So this is really nothing new. Uh, you know, we would think, you know, because, heck, I open the back door and the birds jump off of the feeders. Right. But a bird is not a Bigfoot. Right. You know, maybe they ha- they hear crash, boom, bang, and start to move around, like, hey, what the heck is going on over here? Right. Or, uh nah, they're taking down some woods over here again. I got to make it nasty for them. <laughs>
1: Could be, could be.
0: You remember, Kev, I did that account about Uncle Frank up in Vancouver. You remember that I one? I do,
1: I do. And by the way, I don't think you did this account before. I haven't heard this. Okay. Uh, you remember when Uncle Frank uh, took
0: the two guys who were working together up in Spokane? Yeah. And he took them up to that scene where the guy had disappeared. Yeah. And he told them to hike down where all of the debris where the field barrels, was. the
1: barrels were, right? Yeah,
0: where they were cinched like hourglasses. Yeah. So I think, uh, and this goes way back to where that guy in Northern California first casted uh, cast the, the prince that coined the phrase Bigfoot. Right. Uh, they were in some type of, construction op- I think they were building roads actually those guys I think you're right uh, but of course to build roads over there you got to take down trees right yeah so they were the ones who or about whom was coined the phrase what a big foot or the cast of a big foot just kind of stuck and we started calling the creature a big foot yeah so it, it's interesting though There's a lot of synchronicity around uh, uh, these reports, other reports, uh, different people who are out there doing uh, different kinds of work than you and I. Uh, And they look at things through a different lens, you know, than we do. You know, you ask a computer worker, spends his day in the office, probably has very little interest in the subject, right? He is about it with a wink and a nod. And he's he'd rather watch an episode of Desperate Housewives, you know, <laughs> really, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And then you've got other people who spend their days yearning for the next deep woods hunt they can go on. And they look at life and uh, uh, oddities in a totally different way than the dude working in an office, you know, right? It's it's remarkable, man. I am really, really over the top appreciative of the audience that we have and those of you who have been contacting me and you all know who you are. I've spoken to many, many people. Uh I am thrilled about the uh the audience that we have listening to this podcast, Kevin. Yeah.
1: No, I'm with you a hundred percent. They make it so much better. With their contributions, right?
0: Yeah. There's no doubt about it. speaking of
1: contributions, let's get to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what do our nasty listeners have for us today? Uh, Nothing Ah. nasty.
1: Nothing nasty. But one of our regular contributors, Rick in Ohio, writes in, and he's writing about UFOs, which is pretty Uh cool and timely. He says, hi, gents. Loving the podcast, as always. I have about 25 podcasts in my rotation, but do try to listen to the newsy ones as they happen. And by Saturday night, I have emptied out my list and I'm sitting with rapt attention waiting for my Sunday fix of Bigfoot, Terry in the Woods. (laughs) And honestly, I often listen to a new episode and then just let my phone take me on to another episode of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods and then another and another. (laughs) 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 And he says "And last Sunday, I listened to at least 10 episodes. The topics are very compelling and the back and forth between Kevin and the other guy is interesting. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, hey, I think that's you. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Hey, you! (laughs) And he said, since you did already cover the Tic Tac UFO phenomena, which this Uh is my words, not his, one of my favorites, by the way, Uh um, he said, I thought you'd be interested in this news story on a topic that came out today. And Uh I don't know if you got a chance to read this, Bill. I had not seen this previously, and we will definitely cover it, Rick, and the rest of our audience. But basically, in 2019, now it comes out that swarms of flashing, tic-tac-shaped UFOs chased several U.S. Navy destroyers off the coast of Southern California.
0: Like I was saying uh, last week, I am sure that there was more than meets the eye. To the few frames that we were shown of that Tic Tac. Yeah, those
1: F-18s. And they they went over and saw the disturbance in the water, which they didn't show us the film of that. And here you have these drones, basically. They described them as drones, hundreds of them. Um, right off, well, not right off the coast, hundred miles off the coast. So they're not basic drones and mm-hmm. they're, you know, attacking, uh, and chasing U S Navy high tech destroyers.
0: Yeah. I'd like to, uh, if we could get the details on what is exactly inferred by chasing. Yeah. Because you could chase, look, I'm not in the Navy, I don't know at what point they start breaking out the 30 cals and the pom-pom guns, uh, whatever they got on board to rattle their cage. But I'm not I'm not certain the uh, Navy appreciates any aerial objects harassing the fleet. No, no. So I don't know what the procedure is for that, but I'd sure like to find out. I don't think they'll tell you what the procedure is, but I know where you're going. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, there's got to be more to this because... Uh...
1: But Rick Rick goes into this, and I love it, Rick. Um, we're definitely going to cover this. Um, it's, it's on my list. You may see it sooner rather than later because it just seems super cool. And he, he ends it by saying, hope this finds you both doing well. If you can't use this in the podcast, then just consider me saying hi. Well, obviously, we did use it, Rick, and thank you for the input. and Thanks for the news story, too.
0: Excellent. Rick's like one of our
1: beat reporters. Exactly. He says junior correspondent, but I might say senior correspondent.
0: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, folks, uh, don't be shy. If you have a story, and like I say, if you've seen something say something, contact us. Go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Click on the contact button and tell us what you got to say. I mean, don't 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 be afraid, don't be shy, uh, you know, my brother and I consider you guys like part of our uh family, so you know uh Rick happens to be a contributor regularly to us, and there's others that send now look we're not gonna we're not saying we're gonna use everything you send us, but it 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 stimulates us and it leads us in certain directions
1: to snoop around. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's good. Good Mm -hmm. stuff. All right. So now we get another note here from Curtis and Curtis doesn't say where he's from, but it's interesting. He writes greatest of all time podcast. Not bad. Thank you, Curtis. He says, I look forward each week to catch your latest episode. I've been wondering if there's been any studies or theories on possible lifespan of a Bigfoot. And does a bigger size mean a longer life? Does Bigfoot bury their dead? I don't hmm. know. What do you think, Bill?
0: Well, two things. I think generally in nature, larger size means a shorter life. Yeah. Uh, the body is put under uh, greater taxing, uh, heart-wise, muscle joints, everything else when you're larger. Uh And as far as burying their dead, I am a firm believer that these creatures bury their dead uh, and have always taken that route, uh, which I believe is the sole reason for not running across any pieces or or anything left of any of them uh, in the woods. I mean, look, uh, simply put, think of this. If a Bigfoot buries one of its own in the middle of uh, the forest next to Mount Shasta. Unless they build a shopping center over there and some D9 dozers plow it up and somebody with a watchful eye happens to see something, you will never find that skeleton. Never. Right. So I, uh, you know, and not to mention... Let's just say in Washington, just the state of Washington alone, let's just say there was a couple of thousand Bigfoot up there. With the amount of forest up there, it might you might be lucky to see one of them in your lifetime if there was a population of a couple of thousand and you were somebody who regularly kind of, did some stomping around in the woods. Right. You know, we look at these like, you know, like, how come more people don't see them? I never saw one. Well, you are in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, dummy. <laughs> the only thing you seeing is a slice of cheese pie and a cola. <laughs> What's the matter with you? <laughs> yeah. I never saw Bigfoot. How about seeing this Spinger? <laughs>
1: My brother's yeah. on a tear tonight.
0: Yeah, Watch out, Brooklyn! I'm telling you, he's
1: coming your way.
0: No, it is an ignorance, though, Kev. Right?
1: Well, I hey, think it's next- you know, so many folks, and a lot of our listeners—not all of our listeners, by any stretch—not even a majority—you know—just don't find themselves out in the woods. And I mean, it depends on where you live. It's hard to get out in the woods if you don't live near the country. I mean, like I was out hiking last night in the woods here, uh, over on the local lake, and I didn't see another person for two hours, you know, until the sun went down and I headed back to my car. And I was thinking to myself, Boy, this be an interesting spot to see the hairy man. Now, you know, this isn't really rural enough to run into the hairy man, at least that's what I'm hoping. Um, but, uh, you know, you look around, you're the only one out there and there's no leaves on the trees. So you can see for a long way, even in the forest, like if something was moving around.
0: You know, look at Marble Mountain, right? Uh, Again, back to Marble Mountain or the, or the shot in Provo, Utah. Uh, they just happened to get lucky and be there when they saw this thing on the ridgeline, uh, silhouetted by the sky and the darkness of the slope. Uh, and then in Provo, you have that upward-sloping mountainside there with oh, some yeah. scraggly weeds and some snow, and here's this big black monster. I mean, those are really unusual circumstances. Agree. But to see to see something in the woods, agree with the leaves and the camouflage and the tree colorations, it's. Uh, virtually impossible. Uh, we're
1: gonna we're gonna talk about one of those sightings here, not in the next letter, but after that. So Okay. Let her rip Yeah, bro. so now we're gonna talk to Bob and Bob doesn't say where he's from either. So folks, I know you want it to be anonymous, you know, even if you give us a fake name or ask us to give you a fake name, but try to tell us what part of the country you're from. It just adds a lot of color to it. Um but he says uh You may enjoy this tale, and we've actually covered this tale in uh, one of our podcasts going way back. But he says, uh, and I guess Bob hadn't listened to it yet, which is totally okay. But he says, uh, it it brings to life one of my favorite legendary characters of the West. And this is the uh, Davy Crockett Bigfoot Encounter. Yeah. yeah. You remember that? So yep, I, yep. I uh, put a little subset of the story here. I forget what number of podcast this was, but you can find it in our library. But, you know, it goes like this. One encounter that you may not know about is the time that Davy Crockett allegedly met Bigfoot. And it was in Texas, his favorite state, right? Like he says, "Something." what's his quote? Something like... Uh, You know, all of you may go to hell, but I'm going to Texas or something like that is the Davy Crockett quote, (laughs) which is fantastic. Um, But, you know, he says, upon traveling into the interior of Texas in what is now close to the National Forest that's named after Davy Crockett, Crockett wrote in a letter to his brother-in-law about an encounter he had with a creature that was the shape and size of a large ape Man. Yeah, and he his report goes on to describe the specimen much like many historical and modern day Sasquatch sightings.
0: Yeah, that is a freaky thing, man. Yeah. Are you going to go on more about no, that, Kim, no, Or can I no, jump no, in? You here? can jump in. I was just
1: touching on. So, it.
0: yeah, you remember. Now, there are people that go back and forth, oh, Crockett didn't write that, he only had a third grade education, blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe somebody wrote it second or third hand from what Crockett had said. But he said that that creature warned him to give up on going to the fort, to the Alamo. Exactly.
1: It, 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 I mean, it was like a, a supernatural, a physical encounter as well as a supernatural encounter. It foretold his fortune of, you know, his his devastation at the Battle of the Alamo.
0: Right.
1: Right. And then it also, uh, as I remember, it talked about that it disappeared in a wisp of smoke, right, in a pond yeah. next to him or something like that.
0: Yeah, well, he had that the poetic, and this is why people say it couldn't have been Crockett. He he wouldn't have written or or spoken things like that, you know. In other words, like the guy was ignorant, he couldn't do that. Yeah. And I I, I don't uh, I take liberty to say he could say whatever he wants to say, and who are you to say what he had? Well, don't forget
1: of? too, the guy uh, Davy Crockett that is did punch out a bear when he was like six years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. Don't, so he, don't bet so, against Davy.
0: Yeah. So I mean, he basically said the creature dematerialized in front of him. Yeah. Disappeared. Yeah. Uh, but the creature warned him to give up on his plight to go to Texas and go to the fort, basically telling him it was a losing yeah, cause. Don't
1: don't try to win the Battle of Alamo.
0: Right. And he didn't listen, and we know what the rest exactly. Rest of the story is the rest.
1: Of the story, yeah. as Paul Harvey would say. I love that guy, Paul Harvey. He was great. Remember we used to listen to him with Dad? dad always listened uh, to him. Yeah, I,
0: that, was, that was a one-of-a-kind dude. Him and you know, uh, uh, Gene Shepard. Love Gene Shepard. Oh, man. And, folks, you don't know anything about what Gene Shepard. My brother and I, he was a New Yorker. The guy used to come on WOR radio, 71 on a New York dial, AM, He'd come on at night, and uh, he would do some interviews and stuff, and he would just talk. He would tell stories about old New York and places and people and, and things. And, Kev, it was really mesmerizing, well, wasn't funny. it? it's funny.
1: Like, in contrast today, like, he was just talking – but he de- had a definite beginning, a middle and the end and he would just draw you in. Compared to t- today, you know, where you got the 24/7 talking heads that are just talking, you know, to fill the time. Um he would seem casual like he was just, you know, having a one-way conversation, but very well thought out where he was going cuz you were mesmerized listening to it, listening to it. It's
0: a it's a lot like listening to Bigfoot terror in the woods, isn't (laughs) it? (laughs) Isn't it, sweetie pie, honey bunny? All
1: right, Bill. And our last email comes in from Heather. And Heather's subject is check this out. And she says, I've written in before, and I was actually surprised at how fast I received a response. And I guess she's not talking about the response that says, thank you for the email. We'll get back to you. (laughs) But she says, I myself am on the fence about Bigfoot, but came across this video on one of my dives down the YouTube rabbit hole and thought I would pass it on. And by the way, Heather, I know all about diving down that YouTube rabbit hole. (laughs) She says, there's no way this is a bear. Kind of freaks me out. I hope this link works, but you will have to copy and paste it as it doesn't work on a search on YouTube. Oh, if it doesn't work, search on YouTube. Okay, ready, folks? Elusive Bigfoot caught on remote camera. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I will put this up on our uh, website as well. Bill, did you get a chance to watch this link? I did look at it. And what was kind of weird about it? You
0: saw it too, right? I watched it for like an hour. Okay, so you see there's something kind of coming out behind the tree on the left.
1: Did you notice that? Well, I noticed something. Well, the, the thing is right in the center of the frame, right? The thing she's talking about or whoever did this video. But I see something to the left in the distance, and I also see something just to the right of the tree in the distance. Yeah, well, and the uh, way you see this, Bill, like I don't know if you did this, but if you scroll the time bar on the video quickly, you know, like drag uh-huh. it across, you'll see the uh-huh. motion. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go, go back, back and, and do, do it again. That. You'll see the motion on both the left, of course, the middle, and on the right, and uh, it's. Funky. I saw I saw something coming in and out a little bit. Behind the one tree on the left foreground in the scene. Yeah, there's like a big cypress there on the left, and there's something back behind that. And then just to the right of the biggest tree in the scene, where the creature is behind, but I mean like 100 feet back, there's another creature there moving. I didn't even notice that. Well, you can't really notice it unless you scroll the bar. So you're kind of like viewing it at high speed Uh instead of real time. And at high speed you see stuff move and you're like, What the heck was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But pretty well, cool. it's
0: definitely freaky. I and mean, what are they saying? That was some kind of uh I uh, some kind of game camera that takes
1: movies? That's what it says it's a game camera, but I don't know about a game camera that's doing this kind of video. I guess it could Yeah, well be.
0: that's that's what nailed me too, because a game game cameras that I know of are all stills. Yeah. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. They'll keep sensing something moving and keep cracking off still shots. But I don't know anything.
1: Now, this is more uh, like a ring doorbell.
0: A ring camera. Yeah.
1: See something and then starts rolling.
0: Well, that that actually could be done, right? If you had a battery supply. Oh, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's game cameras like that as well. It's just not the typical one. Something got triggered
0: and it stays running until the movement stops. Yeah. Uh, but uh. So that's
1: it, Bill Super cool Thank you, Heather Thank you to all of our listeners And by the way, folks Thanks for the great reviews And if you haven't left us A five-star review Please do so right now On your favorite podcast podcast player and those reviews are critical to us because it's virtually the only way that we have to attract new listeners and by getting new listeners we can continue to increase the quality of the podcast and also stay on our regular uh saturday night sunday morning schedule
0: awesome and by the way folks please do go out show some support for the podcast buy one of my audio books or a couple of the paperbacks or ebook whatever floats your boat uh and my sound studio guy i was in touch with him yesterday and i'm going back to begin recording on volume eight the second week of april so we're going to be back on the road again to doing some more work awesome and remember If you find yourself out in the woods checking your game trail camera, you never know what you're going to see over your shoulder. And remember this. If you're out there checking your camera, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.